my dear friends, the practice uh, we learn here is the practice of uh, taking care of ourselves so that we can take care of the people, of the other people. Many of us are therapists, uh, doctors, nurses, and, uh, and many are in the helping uh, professions. We should uh, be able to uh, take care of ourselves in order to be able to help uh, other people. I know helping other people can bring uh, a lot of joy to ourselves. But if uh, we do not know how to take care of ourselves, we will burn out very quickly and will, and will not be uh, able to go very far. First of all, we have to learn how to, uh, how to rest. And the practice of stopping is so important. Because we are used to, to run. There is something that uh, is always pushing us to the future. We have the habit of energy of thinking that uh, we still need some, uh, some conditions to be really happy. Uh, maybe intellectually we know already that happiness can be possible in the present moment. But in reality, the habit of running is still there. Unconsciously, we might believe that uh, we still lack uh, a number of conditions to be really happy and that is in the future that we can get this. So we have to really practice uh, stopping. And with the internet we cannot uh, really stop. We have to to practice uh, stopping with our body and with our mind. And that is why practice like I have arrived, I am home in the here and the now is very important. Because the first element of Buddhist meditation is stopping. Unless you can stop, uh, you cannot begin to look and touch deeply what is there in the present moment. In the sitting position, we can rest. Because many of us still in a sitting position struggle a lot. Struggle in order to attain something. And we are very stiff when we sit. In the lying position, we still cannot rest. We don't know the art of uh, surrender ourselves so that uh, we can attain uh, the state of uh, restfulness. We have learned uh, total relaxation. And we should be able to do total relaxation uh, in our daily life at least uh, one time a day. You know that when you have uh, 10 minutes of an hour, you can already practice uh, total relaxation. Even in your office, uh, you can find uh, a blanket and lie down 
and practice uh, total relaxation. If you have a co-worker, uh, you ask him, you ask him to do uh, together with you, and both of you support each other. At home, you may ask uh, uh, your little boy, your little girl, to join you in doing total relaxation. Taking care of our body is very important because the body is very much linked to uh, our mind. The body is uh, only uh, one aspect of our mind. And the mind is the other aspect of the body. We lie down and begin to smile. Even in the dark, this is not a diplomatic uh, smile. <laughs> it's smile like an act of uh, practice, the yoga, the yoga of the mouth. <laughs> because on our faces, on our face, there are hundreds of muscles. And when we are worried, when we are afraid, when we are angry, these muscles are very tense. That is why smiling is a wonderful practice. Smile and then you relax all the muscles in your face. You may ask, why do I have to smile when I do not have the joy within myself? And this is not a matter of joy or not joy. This is a matter of practice. Just smile and allow, allow the muscles in your face to relax. You smile and you see there is a difference. You think that the mind should take the initiative. But the body, it can take the initiatives as well. Why do we discriminate? Why do we say that uh, unless I have joy, I cannot smile? That's discrimination. <laughs> smile and you feel better. You feel relaxed. When we practice smile, smiling, Make your arm smile into a mindful smile. The energy that empowers our smile will be able to help with other parts of the body. I'm breathing in, I'm aware of uh, my eyes. Breathing out, I smile to my eyes. When you breathe in, you you generate the energy of mindfulness. The whole in-breath, the whole time of the in-breath is used in order to generate mindfulness, mindfulness of breathing in. And in that uh, period of uh, breathing in, mindfulness is generated. Breathing out, I smile. Smiling is also uh, uh, the act of generating mindfulness. And if uh, with that mindfulness you touch your eyes and you smile to your eyes, that is already an act of uh, recognizing and loving. 
when you direct uh, your mindfulness uh, to your heart and you smile to your heart, uh, you are uh, recognizing your heart as existing there, as important to you. You smile with, with, uh, uh, with loving kindness. That is a way of sending loving kindness to your heart. In the Buddhist tradition, uh, people are used to uh, embrace all the parts of our body uh, in that way, using a kind of energy, using a kind of uh, being in order to, uh, to touch uh, different parts of our body. Usually we begin with uh, the top of our head and we go slowly until we reach the solar outfit. There are 36, 37 parts in our body. And every time we come to one part of the body, like the eyes or the brain, we become aware, fully aware of it. And we nourish that awareness during the whole, during the time of the evening and of the outbreak. Breathing in and breathing out, you just generate the awareness, the mindfulness and you embrace that part of the body like uh, your brain. Sometimes you do overwork your brain, your brain. Sometimes you ask your brain to do more than it can afford to do. So when you become aware of your brain, when you breathe in and breathe out and embrace your brain, you are showing your love, your kindness, your compassion, your understanding to your brain. Because in that moment you don't think. Thinking is not much. Being is better. Therefore, we should practice so that uh, the energy of mindfulness is available. Because that energy of mindfulness is what we need in order to do the work of healing and transforming. So embrace your brain with uh, mindfulness and smile to it. And one minute, two minutes later, uh, you come down to your eyes, your nose, your tongue, etc., your lungs, your heart, your liver. It is the practice of uh, scanning, scanning your body, not with a laser, but with uh, the energy of mindfulness, because mindfulness is a kind of being, it's a kind of energy. Mindfulness is the energy that helps us to be aware of what is there, to recognize what is there, to embrace it and also uh, to understand it. Because the energy of mindfulness possesses in, within itself the energy of uh, concentration. When you are mindful of, your, of something, you are concentrated on that something. And mindfulness and concentration always bring about some insight. Mindfulness concentration inside. The three things go together. 
when you are mindful of the person you love, you be concentrated on her, and very soon you see what is wrong with the person you love, or what is right with the person you love. If the person you love suffers, you will understand the nature of the suffering. That person might suffer because of jealousy, of uh, distress, of anger. So that is insight. When you have identified the cause of the suffering in the other person, you already have the insight. And you know what to do and what not to do in order to help her to, uh, to work it. Work out, work it out. You offer your support in order for her to be able to transform uh, that suffering with her. You can say, darling, I know you suffer. I am here for you. The cause of your suffering is just. And uh, you should not uh, wait until the situation around change in order to be happy. We have to work with our jealousy because jealousy is the real cause, is the main cause of our suffering. Uh, I will support you in this practice. Many of us, uh, when we suffer, we blame on the outside, on the people around, and we tend to uh, to wait until there is a, a change in order to be happy. But sometimes you have to wait for the whole of your life and nothing can change. That is not uh, the attitude of a practitioner. When you suffer, when things do not, uh, are not to your liking, you have to work it out because uh, you have you have despair, you have jealousy within you, yourself, and you have to change, to transform. And uh, you, uh, with uh, mindfulness, with uh, concentration, with understanding, we will understand the nature of our suffering, of our anger, of our distress, of our jealousy. And it is that insight that liberate us from the suffering. It is like uh, when the storm is coming, we cannot blame the storm. We know what to do and what not to do in order to be able to stand the storm. Or when it is uh, very hot or very cold, we know what to do and what not to do in order to uh, to suffer less. So when things are not to our liking, we will practice so that the thing will be more acceptable to us. It depends on us. And uh, mindfulness, concentration, and insight is the only way out. We practice as an individual and we practice as a Sangha. 
because many people can support us in this practice. In a lying position, you continue with your in-breath and out-breath because you want to continuously generate the energy of uh, mindfulness. And you touch every part of your body with mindfulness and you send your, your loving smile to that. And we know that this is uh, very, very important for the healing, for the relaxation. We have paid attention to many things, but maybe we are still a stranger to our body. We have to go back to our body, make peace with our body, and show our love, understanding to our body. Breathing in, I am aware of my liver. Breathing out, I smile to my liver. It may be the first, it is the first time you pay attention to your liver. <laughs> because you are so preoccupied with many other things. Your liver is not so important, you thought. And when I, when I touch my liver deeply like that, with mindfulness, when I am concentrated on my liver, deeply like that, I may find out that my liver suffers. My liver may have been sending me a lot of uh, message for help. S-O-S, S-O-S. <laughs> but I have uh, neglected it. I have never received the message from my liver. Of course, uh, your body continuously send you a message every day. But you are not mindful. You don't receive the message sent to you by your own body. And you continue to live, to act in such a way that, uh, that make your body suffer. So when you embrace your liver with uh, mindfulness and send to, uh, send to it your loving smile, you become concentrated on it. And suddenly you begin to understand, to see that your liver suffers. In the past, you have uh, eaten you have drunken, uh, you have uh, worked in such a way that was not very helpful to your liver. Uh, we did not uh, eat uh, mindfully, we did not drink mindfully, we did not consume mindfully, that is why our liver has And now, as I know by this insight that my liver suffers, my compassion arises. I know that uh, I have to take care of 
my liver. I had to eat in such a way. I had to drink in such a way that my liver don't stop uh, suffering. If I have been using so, so much drugs, I have a tendency to use uh, drugs more than to use other ways. Because it seems that uh, to swallow a pill is easier than to practice total relaxation. Using tranquilizers, fountains, is a matter of a second. You have only to put a pill into your mouth and you take some water and you swallow it. And why total relaxation? You need 20 minutes. You want everything to be instant. Instant coffee. Instant everything. And that, that is the reason why we have not uh, helped our body properly. We want a relief, but we want a quick relief. That is why we are inclined to use drugs. Therapist. should be able to apply this kind of uh, discipline to themselves. Not to abuse. Drugs, not to abuse our body with drugs. We practice uh, giving our body a chance to rest and to recover itself. We need to believe that our body has the power of healing itself. Because in fact our body has the power of healing itself. If we only know how how to allow our body to do so, we have been standing on the way. We have not allowed our body to rest and to heal itself. We have to look more deeply into this matter. Therapists, doctors, nurses, people in the helping professionals, we should, we should We should practice uh, taking good care of ourselves in order to to really practice uh, taking care of other people. Every day we should allow time for our body to rest, for our spirit, our consciousness to rest. The practice of uh, body bodies body uh, scanning 
ชบิดาเดลี่ you can organize so that you can do it with a friend or single friends and when the time comes one of you say it's time for total relaxation so you do it students in the university between two exams if they know how to do the total relaxation they will do much better when I was a student and taken exam I already knew how to do it after one exam I had uh, 15 minutes or half an hour before the second exam uh, I lie down on the grass and I practice uh, total relaxation instead of sitting there and worry about the subject uh, you, you, you had to discuss uh, uh, the question you had to answer in the next uh, examination if you stand there if you sit there and continue to worry about the next, next exam uh, you are losing more of yourself of your strength of your freshness and you will not be your best when you undertake the second exam. So our program may be, um, may be uh, 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 originally we program only one thing a day. But when you come to the place, there will be other things presenting themselves and you accept a second thing and sometimes a third thing. So there are two things to do. First of all, you have to learn, you have to learn to say no. It's very hard breaking to say no to people when they meet you. I think uh, you have already had that, that feeling as uh, a therapist, as a doctor, as a nurse, as a member of the uh, helping professions, you know it. When people need you and you have to say no, that is very heartbreaking. But uh, we should know our limits. If you want to survive, and to continue for a long time, you have to learn how to say no. People will understand. The second thing is that uh, between, between activities, you should give your body and your mind time to recover themselves. Do total relaxation. Do mindful walking. After a Dharma talk, I will always treat myself with a walking meditation. It helps me to recover myself. Walking meditation is such a, a relaxing practice. You can release uh, the negative energy. You can uh, empower yourself with positive energy. You can get in more fresh air and renew your body. And deep breathing is wonderful. 
and as uh, someone in a helping profession, a helping professions, you have learned to do that. Find time in your daily life to renew yourself. Discuss this with your colleagues and ask your colleagues to join you in your practice of resting, of uh, renovating, of uh, renew, renewing. This is a very important. And learn to say no when you know that it will be too much. When you are a therapist, you have to sit there and to listen to the sorrow, the pain of other people. And if you do that too much, you will have a negative effect on you. I know you have compassion. You have loving kindness. You want to help people to suffer less. Yes. But you have to take care of yourself. When I listen a little bit too much of the suffering of other people, I cannot eat. I have to do walking meditation a lot. Before I am able to eat something. There are negative uh, seeds in us. The seeds of sorrow of sadness, of pain in us. And if we sit and listen hours and hours to the suffering of other people, these seeds in us will be touched and they will grow. And that is why we should uh, be able to know our limits. This is very important. So please use your intelligence to to work out a kind of uh, schedule, a kind of principle. We should have to uh, to abide to, in order for us to be able to protect ourselves. One of the ways for you to protect us is to protect yourself. In a sutra, the Buddha uh, talked about acrobat. Uh, uh, and his uh, disciple. The acrobat uh, had a um, bamboo pole 
and uh, he used to bring his disciple to the marketplace and he, he pours uh, the bamboo pole on his head to keep the balance and then the disciple will climb up uh, the bamboo pole and they practice uh, balance and people upload it and give uh, money for both of them to, uh, to live. So one day the Akobat uh, told his disciple, uh, dear disciple, we have to learn how to protect each other. I have to protect you uh, and you have to protect me uh, so that we will survive for a long time and we will earn our living. And the disciple said, uh, uh, my teacher, we should say like this, uh, each, one, each one of us has to take care of himself. When I take care of myself, when I climb very mindfully, I protect you. And when you keep the pole in balance, you are protecting me. So by, by taking care of ourselves, we take care of each other. That's uh, the teaching of the Buddha. So if you, the, the doctor, the therapist, if you know how to protect yourself, to take care of yourself, you are protecting us. to be able to, uh, to meet our colleagues in a kind of uh, Dharma discussion. When we ask them the question as how each of them take care of themselves and protect themselves. And we learn from our colleagues. And as we ourselves have practice, we have something to share. This is the way I take care of myself. And I protect myself because I know that practice of taking care of self, protecting self, is very crucial for helping other people, protecting other people, taking care of other people. So let us in this retreat uh, come to in small groups and discuss with each other as each one of us uh, take care of ourselves. We share and we learn at the same time. The Buddha said several times that it is possible for us to live happily in the present moment. Drista Dharma Sukha Vihara. That is the Sanskrit. Uh, Expression. Drista Dharma means the present moment. 
สุขาเมนสแฮปปี้แฮปปี้สุขาวิหารได้ยินไหมได้ยินไหมอันนี้ว่าสวยนะเด็กชาวบ้านสติวเฮส blocks of suffering and sorrow and yet he said it is still possible to live happily in a present moment in fact we don't have to take uh, to remove all our suffering our sorrow to take out of our our body our system in order to be happy now in the light of interbeing Joy is made of uh, non-joy elements. The sorrow has has a role to play. It's like the compost in the garden has a role to play in uh, breaking up the vegetable and the flowers. So it's not uh, a necessity to remove all the pain and the sorrow in us. In order to be really happy, if we know how, and then happiness may be possible in the here and the now. When we know how to practice uh, mindfulness, the energy of mindfulness will help us to go back to the here and the now, and in the here and the now. We will get in touch with the positive, refreshing, and healing elements. That is very important for us to be able to live happily in the present moment. The the homework I. Suggested yesterday. It's very important. If you have not done, please do it uh, sometime later on. Intellectually, we may know that there are positive elements. Intellectually, we may know that there are elements of happiness in the here and the now. But because we are always on the run. Running, uh, you do not have a chance to stop and to touch these elements of happiness. The problem is how, how to create opportunities for us to recognize these elements and to profit from them. You have your intelligence. Why don't you use your intelligence in working out? To work out uh, that kind of practice. When there is something that you don't like, you allow that something to overwhelm, so that you forget all the positive things. That is not a very wise attitude. When one or two trees in my garden die. I'm aware of it, and I can be obsessed by the fact that a few trees in my garden are dying. But if I take 
the look of the whole garden. I see that many trees are still uh, robust, healthy, green. And I'll change my idea. Hundreds of trees are still alive, beautiful. There are only a few trees that are dying. And I profit from the beauty of the trees that are beautiful in order to get the strength and uh, to take care of the trees that are dying. Well, I may find ways to help these trees not to die. Or if they die, I will plant new trees on their trees. So in that case, you will not be overwhelmed by despair. So it's very important to be aware of what is uh, not from. And not to let what is wrong to overwhelm us. This is a very important practice for the therapist. She has to apply the discipline to herself. And then to help the people in the same way. When a plan comes, of course, uh, she is very eager to discuss what is wrong. And there is uh, a belief that if we are able to talk about what is wrong, we will suffer less. But we have to revise this. Because talking a lot about what is wrong is uh, rehearsing our pain, helping our pain, the seed of pain in our store consciousness to grow. You have had a chance to talk about your suffering to one person. Why do you need to talk to one other person about the same kind of pain? Why you have to talk to the same person a second time, a third time, a fourth time about your pain? So that that person said, I already know, I already know. <laughs> that practice uh, can be harmful. The alternative practice is to use the energy of mindfulness to touch the positive elements within us and with the other person. A therapist uh, may propose something like I uh, proposed yesterday. What elements, what positive elements that are available in the here and the now? How we can profit from them? And uh, imagine a therapist and the client, and the client, his client, to sit down and identify these. Uh, these positive elements. It's a joyful time spent together. And why don't you practice uh, walking meditation together? Why don't we share uh, the technique of uh, mindful walking? <coughs> mindful walking can release the negative energy. Mindful walking can help us to touch the wonders of life that are available in the here and the now. We know that if we know how to walk, 
the kingdom of God will be available in the here and the now. The wonders of life are there, very obvious. This morning, when I was walking with you, I was not so sure that we have, have the right to walk on the grass. <laughs> but uh, I felt wonderful. I was able to, to dwell firmly in the here and the now. And every step uh, is, uh, was uh, bringing to me solidity, freedom, and happiness. A therapist, uh, if she knows how to enjoy her mindful walking, she will be able to share it with uh, her client. And she can like to initiate her client to the practice of uh, total relaxation. And uh, train the client uh, in the art of uh, to be. To be and to be touching. When we touch something, we are one with that uh, object of touching. When we touch the blue sky deeply, we are one with the sky. When we, when we touch uh, autumn deeply, we are one with the autumn. And when we, when we touch something negative, we become one with that concept. Uh, to be, to touch deeply what is there in the present moment and reduce our thinking because we think too much. We think and we worry a little bit too much. We are not able to delve in the present moment. The most ancient text, the most ancient uh, scriptures that teaches the art of mindful living in the present moment is the Bhatti Karata Sutta. In the Pali Canon, there are four or five uh, uh, sutras that deal with uh, the art of living uh, in the present moment. And in the Chinese uh, canon, there are also five, six uh, uh, equivalent texts. The sutra uh, on how to live uh, in solitude, to live alone. To live alone here means uh, to delve in the present moment. The word solitude may, may, uh, may be misleading, may give an idea that uh, that person uh, wants to be alone. But solitude is a wonderful way of living. You have time 
for yourself to be alone. All of us have that kind of need. Sometimes we very much need to be alone to take care of ourselves. We just cannot uh, be uh, sharing with the people all the time, taking care of the people all the time. We need time to be with ourselves, to nurture ourselves, to renew ourselves, to enrich ourselves in our spiritual life. If you spend all your time talking and doing things with other people, you will lose yourself. You become poorer and poorer in the inside. So monastic uh, life is the kind of life where people have a lot of chance to be oneself, walking along, sitting along. And that is to cultivate our solidity, our freedom, our inner joy, so that we have something to share with other people. Sitting meditation is a, is a practice of renewing yourself, of enriching yourself, of cultivating solidity, freedom and joy. Freedom from afflictions, freedom from the tendency to run into the future or to be caught in the past. Walking meditation, sharing a silent meal, all these things uh, are in the context of, uh, of uh, the practice of uh, living alone. And the monastic culture can be shared with the people who live in society. Because when we live in a society surrounded by so many people, having so many things to do, we also feel the need of being alone. So we should arrange so that in our daily life, we have times and opportunities to live in solitude. We should, be, we should have the, the occasion to do mindful walking alone, mindful sitting alone, spend time alone, dwelling in the present moment, looking deeply. And that way, in that way, we can cultivate more solidity, more peace, more joy, more insight. And you have something to share with the people you love. A therapist, a helping professional, should be able to do so. Because we are very eager to share. We are very eager to help. We are uh, generous, but in order to give, we have we got to have something. And that something must be our solidity, our freedom, our joy, our spirituality. 
The same thing is true with our, uh, our sorrow, our pain. If we have a boat, we can carry our pain and our sorrow, and we will not sink into the river of suffering. And what is that boat? That boat is, first of all, the energy of mindfulness that you generate by your practice. That boat is also the Sangha, the community of practice consisting of brothers and sisters in the Dharma, and they are practicing exactly the same thing, generating the energy of mindfulness. And to the one who knows the practice well, the existence of a Sangha is very cool. Because there are moments when you are less than yourself. There are moments when you are in need of a brother or a sister in order for you to restore the balance. There are moments when the sorrow, the pain, Overweight the joy and the stability. And in this moment, you really need a sangha. Your mindfulness is not strong enough to sustain you in these moments. And that is why you need the collective energy of mindfulness of your sangha in order not to sink into the ocean of sorrow. Sangha building is so essential to the practice. Therapists, doctors, you have to set up your Sangha in order to get uh, the support uh, you need. You have to provide each other with the opportunity to practice together and to nourish uh, your stability, your freedom, to allow transformation and healing to be possible every day. With uh, a person who has a stability and joy sitting next to you, you feel much better. The moment when you feel so low that you are about to, to sink, to crack, and you remember you have a friend, but she is not there, she, she lives very far from here. And you wish so much that she be here sitting next to you so that you can restore the balance. And we know sitting next to a person that has stability and joy, you can restore your balance.
very quickly. That is why we need a Sangha. All of us need a Sangha. I myself need a Sangha. When the child is uh, find himself in a nervous uh, crisis, you can come and hold him in your arms. You might like to uh, take his hand and ask him, invite him to do walking meditation, or to sit down, and you both practice breathing uh, in and breathing out, uh, paying attention to the rise and fall of your abdomen. And five or ten minutes later, your child will feel better. You are his son. You are an element of his son. He can profit from people like you. And he may have, uh, and he might profit from many people like you. And in a saga, we can profit from every brother, every sister. I know that in the uh, therapy circle, uh, there, is, uh, there, are, um, there is the practice uh, uh, with groups of people, group therapy. But those who come to uh, therapy, they already have uh, problems. And when you regroup, many people who have problems, it will be very difficult to handle. But when you regroup uh, joyful people together, you have a lot of joy. So, Sangha building, you have to select uh, people there must be people who have uh, enough stability, freedom, and joy. And then you can receive uh, people who need uh, the support. But to me, the percentage is important. You need at least two-thirds of the Sangha to be the people having enough solidity, joy, and freedom. If you bring into your sangha so many uh, young people, so many suffering people, uh, the few people who have solidity and joy will not be able to sustain that, uh, that percentage. In Plum Village, we have uh, a sangha of monks and nuns and lay people. And most of the monks and nuns and the lay people, they come here, they come there. It's not because they are sick. Be- not because they, they, they suffer, they have suffered so much. 
that they want to avoid uh, life now. Uh, most of the young, mo- most of the monks and nuns in Bloomfield, they are young people. They are those who are 16, 17, 18. And they are, they are not abused by their parents. They have a normal families. They have become monks and nuns because they, they have that uh, heart of knowing. Uh, they don't want to live a comfortable life. Uh, I think they, they will be happier if they can serve more people than just a few. Their intention is not to make the happiness of one, two, or three people. Their intention is to make the happiness of many people. And the energy within them is uh, bodhicitta, the mind of love. And uh, if that energy is too strong, and then you cannot uh, resist becoming a monk or a That, that is a way uh, by which you can help many people. It's like when you become a therapist, you are motivated by the idea of helping people. That is also a positive energy in you. That is also a bodhicitta. And many of you begin by, by being uh, a, a client when you have suffered. And as you have uh, experienced uh, the healing, the transformation, you know uh, therapy is very important. And that is why you have decided to be a therapist yourself, to bring relief to other people. That is also uh, the mind of love. The Sangha is a, is a community, is a beautiful community that practices uh, joy, happiness. That joy and happiness is what we will share with other people. So in Sangha, The practice of the Sangha is the practice of happiness. Of course, uh, the Sangha can practice healing and transforming, but the Sangha can practice happiness in the here and the now. The monks, the nuns, the lay people, live them. They don't believe that fame and wealth and sex are the true uh, foundation of happiness. They don't need to learn after these objects of craving, because they know that uh, running after these uh, objects of craving can ruin you, can make you destroy your body, your mind, can bring you a lot of suffering. So they decide, they have decided not to run after the objects of craving. Instead, they want to go back to the here and the now and touch the wonders of life that are They follow the teaching of the Buddha. It is possible to live in the here and the now with happiness and not to run after the objects of craving. 
So then you can generate uh, a smile. You can smile with your eyes. You can smile with your hand. And then your life will be of great service to other people. There are those of us who have practiced only one year and two years as a monk. And yet we have already begun to make the happiness of other people. When you are able to walk mindfully, beautifully, peacefully, with joy. And when people see you walking like that, they have confidence. They know that they can do like that. And uh, it may happen that they have lost their practice. They walk uh, not mindfully. They are letting uh, the worry worries or the project to overwhelm them, but uh, when they see a person walking like that, they will come back to their practice. They will be able to breathe in mindfully and without mindfully and smiling. So this time I feel uh, wonderful because during uh, retreats organized in uh, California, New York, yeah, we have been able to offer the presence of uh, many months and months. And having months and months uh, in a sangha is a nice thing because uh, these months and months they, they practice full time in Brunei. Uh, every day is a day of, the, of retreat. And uh, they are trained uh, in order to help other people. And uh, they offer each other joy. They offer me a lot of joy. Of course, there are uh, difficulties. But uh, with, the, with the practice, with the Dharma, we are always able to overcome these difficulties and restore the harmony, the peace, and the joy. We have faith in the Dharma because the Dharma has helped so much to restore harmony and peace and joy. When you build a Sangha, the Sangha may look like uh, it's not uh, a perfect Sangha. But you have to stick to your Sangha. You have to use your talent in order to continue to improve the quality of the Sangha. Don't get angry with your Sangha. Don't run away from the Sangha. During the Sangha, we need a lot of energy and time. You need to take care of each person. Who is a Sangha builder? You need to have a lot of love, a lot of uh, good intention, a lot of tolerance in order to build a Sangha. A Sangha, a good Sangha, is a wonderful instrument for transformation and healing. The moment when you bring a patient, a suffering person into the Sangha, 
see that person might feel relieved right away. There is an atmosphere, there is a, the energy of joy, of harmony, that you can feel, and you feel better right away before the Sangha does anything to help you. That is why part of our time and life should be devoted to Sangha building. In the Buddhist tradition, we say, I take refuge in the Sangha. Taking refuge in the Sangha is very important. Not less important than taking refuge in the Buddha, in the Dharma. Because the Sangha contains within itself the energy of the Buddha and the Dharma. If everyone in the Sangha practices, and then mindfulness is there, and mindfulness is the energy of the Buddha, and mindfulness is the substance of the Dharma. So taking refuge in the Sangha means to abide by the Sangha, to seek uh, uh, support from the Sangha, to get uh, the energy from the Sangha. Taking refuge in the Sangha is not a matter of faith, of belief. It is a matter of practice. To practice in order to build the Sangha, to improve the quality of the Sangha. The first thing, the basic thing, to have a Sangha, to build a Sangha, is to transform ourselves into a good element of the Sangha, loving, understanding. And you can make uh, your loving and understanding existing in other members of the Sangha. One day, the King Prasenari of uh, the Koshara Kingdom met the Buddha. He was a disciple of the Buddha and also a friend of the Buddha. They were born in the same year. And that, uh, that, that year, they were both uh, 18. And the king looked at the Buddha and said this, Lord Buddha, any time I see your Sangha, I have tremendous faith in you. Because the Sangha is the work, is the flower. The Buddha was an excellent Sangha builder. And he had excellent assistants like uh, the Venerable uh, Shariputra. They spend a lot of time building the Sangha. Because the Sangha is a wonderful instrument for helping people to transform and to heal. That is why every therapist should build his or her own Sangha in order to get uh, the, the support, the energy, and in order to have an instrument for helping other people to heal. I 
in this respect, there are a lot of things we can learn from the ancient uh, Buddhist uh, tradition. Uh, the practice within Buddhism is the practice of crossing over to the other shore. From the shore of uh, ill being, I cross to the shore of uh, well being. From the shore of anger, I cross to the shore of non anger. And every time I find myself standing on this shore, I would do something not to cross over. I don't allow myself to be caught on this shore. That is the practice. And sometimes crossing over to the other shore is very quick. If you have uh, a minor irritation, don't let the minor irritation to become a real irritation. Just by <coughs> breathing in, and written out and smile to what is there. It's not that important. It should not spoil your day, your happiness. And only a few in-breath and out-breath can evaporate, can help evaporate your irritation. If we, do, if we are able to switch the way of looking, the kind of uh, discontentment, the kind of uh, irritation we have can just uh, evaporate very easily. And uh, by doing so, you are cultivating your compassion, your understanding. The other person, because of his uh, lack of skillfulness, of uh, the energy of uh, anger and uh, suffering in him, uh, he he can make other people around him suffer. And if we understand, uh, we will not suffer. Instead, we can try to help him to suffer us. sinking into the river of suffering. And it is uh, perfectly possible that you enjoy living happily in the present moment because the, all the wonders of life are there available to you in this moment. We know that there will be a time when we lie on our bed about to die. Or our force believing us. And in that moment, even if we want very much, we would not be able to stand up 
and to do work on meditation, even call oneself. You have seen a dead body. No matter what you can do, you cannot revive that person and help him or her to stand up and to do walking meditation. Now your feet are strong. Your eyes are bright and clear in good condition. Your lungs are good. It's wonderful that you can enjoy walking. Every step helps you to go back to your true home, the here and the now. And each step like that can be very nourishing and healthy. Why don't we create opportunities for us to do, this, to do that every day? Why don't we invite uh, our friends to do that every day? So the therapist can very well uh, invite uh, his uh, client and maybe another child, uh, one child, to join in the walking meditation. It may be better than just to sit down and to think over and to touch and to talk about what is wrong. I think we have to go back uh, a little bit to our verses. I think we have read together uh, the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth. Now we come to the ninth. All manifestations bear the marks of both the individual and the collective. The maturation of Alaya functions in the same way in its participation in the different stages and realms of being. All manifestations from Alaya. Alaya manifests itself uh, into, first of all, the mental formations. Mm, Alaya manifests itself uh, into uh, formations like eyes, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. Alaya manifests uh, itself uh, as the object of five senses, like a form, form, sound, smell, touch, etc. Manifestation as formations like the realm of things in themselves, the realms of representations, the realms of mere images, the realm of mere images uh, is uh, the world in which uh, we live during our dream or our imagination. The realm of representations is the realm where we live our daily life because we are caught in a way of thinking that is against uh, the principle of non-duality and uh, interbe and the realm of things in themselves uh, uh, is what we can touch uh, every time we have the insight of intervening uh, and non-duality. 
Manifestations are bear the marks of uh, the individual and the collective. My my optic nerves is not uh, is not uh, only mine. One day I said, uh, the brain in our school, it is not uh, an individual thing. The way it thinks, the way it perceives, the way it creates, or reflect the collective uh, thinking. If uh, I found, if I find that dress beautiful, not because I find it beautiful, but because all of you find it beautiful, that is why I feel beautiful. That is why fashion comes to be. So uh, the value of the Dawa <coughs> depends on the collective fear, the collective enthusiasm. So everything is of uh, the nature uh, collective and individual. The maturation of Alaya functions in the same way in its participation in the different stages and realms of beings. Maturation means uh, ripening. Need some time in order to rank, to be ranked, like an orange. The, the orange blossom produces an orange, and that orange needs time and the conditions in order to be an orange that you can eat. So our action 
เอากัดมากาวมอมีสักคำลายกับ what we say what we think what we do are the kind of actions we perform every day and they need some time to mature and they will be manifested And when they manifest, they manifest in participation with other uh, consciousness. Suppose uh, we look deeply into this retreat. This retreat is uh, a manifestation of our collective uh, consciousness. Why have we? Do we have this kind of retreat? Because uh, you have sown, each of you have sown into, uh, have planted into uh, your Alana Vishnana, a seed of the practice. You have uh, read a book, you have heard about uh, something about mindfulness practice, and you have the desire to, uh, to, uh, to cultivate uh, more insight into the art of healing and transformation. And all these things uh, have happened uh, some time ago, and now conditions are enough for us to come together and have this retreat. And uh, the participation of each one of us depends on, uh, on the act that we have uh, committed, we have performed in the past. Why other people have not come to our retreat. Because they did not share the same kind of interest of seed. So why have we come to Kivas? Something has determined before that we will come together to Kivas today. That has been written down in our Alaya Vishnana, collective and individual. Uh, that is the law called the law of affinity. And people of the same affinity, they always come together. There is the realms of the gods, the realms of uh, the hungry, Spirits. The realms of uh, hells. The sixth destination. The gods, the humans, uh, the hells. The hungry ghost, uh, the asuras, and the animals. The asuras means uh, uh, a kind of spirit, but always very angry. Asuras. And we, each of us has the 
six elements in us. We have a God within, we have a human being within, we have a hungry ghost within, we have an animal within, we have uh, a hell within, we have uh, an ashram within. And up to you to choose. If you continue uh, to water the seed of hungry ghosts in yourself every day, and then you become a hungry ghost, and you look for other hungry ghosts, and you come together, that is participation. In the Buddhist uh, tradition, we believe that there are hungry ghosts. And this is the way we picture these hungry ghosts, having a very big belly, very hungry, and a very tiny throat, as small as a needle. And that is why you can never satisfy your hunger, because your throat is small. And every year in Buddhist countries, they, off, they, they make offering to the hungry ghost. That is uh, the, 15, the full moon day of the eighth month, lunar calendar month, month. Uh, the seventh, the seventh, uh, seventh month. That day you uh, make offering and place on the altar of your ancestors. And you are happy that your, uh, your ancestors have uh, a place to come home. They are not hungry ghosts. They have children. They have a home. So they feel very comfortable. But you know that there are plenty of hungry ghosts uh, wandering around. They don't have a home to come to, to return. That's why you have to make offering on the front yard, in the front yard. You offer uh, rice, um, cake, water, and so on. And in our tradition, uh, during the ceremony of offering to the hungry ghosts, you have to, uh, you have, uh, to pronounce a magic formula, a mantra, so that uh, uh, you can bring the size of the throat uh, of the hungry ghosts uh, to normal. There is a mantra called the mantra of bringing back uh, uh, the truth of the hungry ghost to normal size. Kai yết hầu chân ngôn. And you pronounce it twice. And then you send the heart sutra, you invite the hungry ghost to eat. And you um, uh, recite the name of the Buddha, Amitabha, so that the Buddha, Amitabha, will bring all of them to uh, the pure life. That is a popular belief in Buddhism. But as we practice looking deeply, we see that hungry ghosts are everywhere around us, especially younger ones, among the younger generations. They are hungry of understanding of love. They suspect everything. They don't believe in family. They don't believe in society. They don't believe in church. 
they don't believe in the uh, tradition. They have uh, rejected everything and they are looking for something to believe in. From time to time they come to a Zen center, a practice center, and we can recognize them very easily. The way they walk, the way they look, is the way of a hungry person. They are very suspicious. If, even if you have uh, understanding and love to offer, they still suspect and speak. In order to help a hungry person, you have to be very patient. You have to earn the trust before you can help. There are people without roots, no roots in religion, no roots in society, no roots in the family. Because uh, in the family, the mother and the father did not prove that happiness in the family is possible. In the church also, they did not feel they are understood. They are forced to do things that they don't understand, they cannot accept. And our society is organized in such a way that we create uh, hundreds of thousands of people every day. And if we look mindfully around us, we see plenty of hungers. They are looking for something really beautiful, really good, really true to believe in. Their truth is very tiny because they are they suspect everything. They don't be, they are not ready to believe in anything. And even if you have uh, love and, and care to offer, they still cannot absorb their truth is very small. And uh, hungry ghosts, they like to come together. The people in hell also, all of us have been in hell. We know what is hell. And, uh, and hell is not very far away. Hell is right here. And the maturation of Ananda operates according to this uh, law of affinity. If uh, we have a lot of uh, seeds of hungry ghosts, we will come with other hungry ghosts and we will form a society of hungry Destination, the six destinations, gods, men, uh, uh, Ashura, 
hungry ghosts, uh, hell, and animals. The maturation of Alaya functions in the same way in its participation in different stages in realms of beings. The other day I said there are ten stages, but in fact there are nine, nine stages. And these nine stages are uh, found in the three uh, worlds. The world of craving, the world of form, and the world of non-forms. I hope uh, the ninth uh, verse is clear now. Let us come to the ten. Unobstructed and indeterminate, Alaya is continuously flowing and changing. At the same time, it is endowed with the five uh, universal mental properties. This we had discussed uh, yesterday. Unobstructed because Alaya has the capacity of being uh, uh, transformed, uh, and uh, acquire the absolute uh, ops, absolute uh, clarity. Indeterminate means that it is neither wholesome or unwholesome, it depends on our way of life. Alana is continuously flowing and changing. In fact, uh, the original is uh, like this, Alaya is both continuous and changing. Hang. Continuous because it uh, it operates uh, day and night. It is not discontinued like this, like the mental consciousness. It's not. Uh, it is not discontinued like eye consciousness or ear consciousness, because eye consciousness uh, um, operate uh, during the day, and when you sleep, it stops operating. Mental consciousness also stop operating in uh, some of the cases. But uh, manas and alaya, they operate continuously day and night, non-stop. But it, does, uh, but it does not mean that it is uh, permanent. Continuous does not mean permanent. It's always changing. Because all the seeds within Alaya is evolving day and night. So there is a chance for us to do something for its transformation. At the same time, it is endowed with the five universal mental properties. The five universals uh, we have uh, listed uh, uh, yesterday on the board. And tomorrow afternoon, uh, each of us will have uh, a shift uh, with all the 51 mental formations. Although impermanent, 
and without a separate self. Anya contains within itself all Dhammas in the Dharma Dharma, conditioned and unconditioned. Dharmas here means uh, things, phenomena. A flower is a Dharma. Our anger is a Dharma. Space is a Dharma. Time is a Dharma. Dharma Dhatu means the realm of all the Dharmas. Uh, establish themselves in the nature of uh, Nirvana, of uh, no birth and no death. And with your deluded mind, you can only reach uh, Dharma in the realm of birth and death. And there are dharmas that is called conditioned, and there are dharmas that are called unconditioned. <coughs> the original mind, the uh, nirvana, are dharmas that you can term as uh, unconditioned. Vovi, Hovi, conditioned dharmas always undergo uh, change, birth and death. But unconditioned dharma uh, do not undergo uh, uh, birth and death. <coughs> and uh, this is a very, uh, this is only uh, a distinction uh, for beginners. Because uh, if we continue to look deeply into every Dharma, we find that the true nature of all Dharma is divine. Everything has been divinized since the beginning. Uh, the Diamond Sutra, the Prashna Paramita Sutra, are the teachings that help us to touch deeply the nature of all Dharma, the nature of no birth and no death. We have a chance to go back to it uh, later on. Seeds can produce seeds. Seeds can produce formations. Formations can produce seeds. Formations can produce formations. Suppose uh, anger is a, a seat within our consciousness. When someone uh, says something or do something, 
he touched the Sri Lanka and the, the, the energy of anger is a manifestation of uh, the seed. And the energy of anger that produces itself uh, in uh, mental consciousness is a formation. The seed is down there. The formation is up here. And if we entertain, we entertain the anger for five minutes, this anger will help the seed down there to grow. And a seed can help to produce another seed. And up here, the formation can produce another produ- uh, uh, formation. The formation can produce another formation. Like uh, a seed of corn can produce a plant of corn. A plant of corn can produce a year of corn. There is something I would like to say concerning anger. When we are irritated, when we are angry, we suffer. And we believe that if we do something, like uh, expressing our anger, or tell the other person, that uh, he's not kind, he has done a um, terrible thing, or to punish him or her. Uh, we will we think that if we do so, we will get a relief. But as uh, all of us have experienced this, the anger, the irritation might be multiplied by three times or ten times if you express. Yes. Because you give it a push. So it's very, uh, very important to learn how to embrace your irritation, your anger, and not to, uh, to to practice uh, the so-called ventilation in that way. When you ventilate, you suffer more. Of course, uh, you don't do anything to suppress it. You have to recognize it. You have to allow it to be. But you have to take good care of it. And unless you have uh, some uh, energy of mindfulness, you cannot take good care of your anger. Breathing, smiling, mindful walking is very helpful in uh, taking good care of your anger. There are therapists who tell us that we can do like this. We go into our room, we lock our room, and we uh, beat, we pound on a pillow. 
that is safer. Yes, sir. but it's not entirely safe. You know that if, if, if we beat the other person, it's very dangerous. That is why we lock uh, the door and we beat uh, on, we beat, uh, we pound on our pillow. And we may call it uh, getting in touch with our anger. Uh, getting it out of our system. But uh, in the light of this practice, this is not very, a very wise thing to do. Because uh, when you do, when you, when you, when you uh, hit the pillow, You are rehearsing your anger. You help the seat of anger down there to grow. And sometime later, while getting angry, you don't have a room to go to and to lock uh, the door, and you will be tempted to hit the person directly. Of course, we have to touch our anger. We have uh, to recognize our anger. We have to uh, to allow our anger to be. But uh, with which, with what, we can touch our anger? With what we can uh, recognize? our anger as it is. With what can we embrace our anger? That is the question. And the answer is that the energy of mindfulness is the only kind of energy that can help us to touch our anger, to recognize our anger, and to take care of our anger. And that is why uh, the time for solitude the time of uh, uh, practice is very important for us to generate uh, that kind of uh, energy for touching, for recognizing, for embracing. When you when you beat your your pillow, you are not really touching uh, uh, your anger. You are not uh, in touch with your anger, really. You let yourself, you let yourself to be overwhelmed by anger. That's all. That's what really happening. You are not uh, even in touch with the pillow. <laughs> because if you are really in touch with the pillow, you would know that this is only a pillow. And if uh, you have that kind of enlightenment, this is only a pillow, you have no heart to pound it like that. <laughs> that is why going back uh, to our daily practice is very important. Mindful walking, mindful breathing, 
embracing the mental formations that manifest in ourselves. Recognize them. And every time a formation, a, a negative formation is recognized, it will lose some strength. And go down to the deeper level of our consciousness, a little bit weaker. 